Well, let me encourage you to do uh, two things. Uh, one is to uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, page 968. And the other thing is to uh, dig out the, um, the handout that uh, some people very kindly helped me stuff uh, into uh, these, uh, uh, these uh, uh, sheets uh, just earlier. So um, that might be useful as well if you'd like to just know where we're going. Well, where we are going is Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, as we continue in this series uh, of the Beatitudes. And tonight, as Tom said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's a magnificent promise. The pure in heart will see God. It's a wonderful promise, until you think about it for a moment. Uh, Purity is not in vogue these days, never has been really. Who wants to be pure? Uh, Apparently Justin Bieber wants to be pure. Uh, it says that in the week, uh, which is a little sort of a summary of, of, of the news uh, that comes out. He's vowed to stay uh, chaste uh, until he marries, apparently. But here's the thing. That's news. And that it's news tells me sexual purity is unusual. Well, you don't need me to tell you that. I knew it, of course, before then. On the whole, pop stars don't want to be sexually pure, and neither does the general public. Sexual purity is not in vogue. Neither is ethical purity. We've heard plenty in these last months of the inequality of bankers getting huge bonuses while others have so little. But before we take another cheap swipe at the bankers, let's be honest, ethical purity isn't rampant in the lives of Joe Public either. Uh, Caroline and I went to Meadow Hall uh, last week, a week last Friday. It's not something I like to make a habit of. Uh, Once a year is more than enough Meadow Hall for me. Um, Anyway, while we were there, Caroline handed over a £20 note to pay for an item and was given in return... £25.69 change. I think I'm going to go to that shop again. Uh, The girl on the till had inadvertently given Caroline two £10 notes instead of one. And as Caroline handed back one of the tenors, you see, I don't really want to go back again. As Caroline handed back one of the tenors, the look on the shopper since face said it all. She could hardly believe it. Thank you, she said. Thank you so much for being honest. Now, I don't think for one minute that Caroline is the only person who would be honest in such a situation, but it's clearly not the norm. The face of the girl behind the counter and her exuberant thanks told me how unusual it is. Purity is not something that marks our society. Listen to our words. There's not much purity on our lips. Words are cheap these days. There was a day in the city of London when huge transactions were agreed on the old adage, my word is my bond. Substantial business deals would be secured and carried through on a promise and a handshake because people kept their word, not now. Today it is very difficult to trust anyone, even when they make a promise. Wherever you look, purity is in short supply. We live in a dark world. So dark that purity isn't valued. At best, it's considered naive, and at worst, just stupid. Well, look with me at Matthew chapter 4, then, and verse 15, where we're reminded that Jesus has come to deal with this dark world. Remember, as we've looked at the Beatitudes, we've seen that Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 to 17, sets the scene for Jesus' ministry. Matthew 4, verse 15, land of Zebulun, And land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We live in a dark world, and Matthew is saying Jesus is the light in that dark world, the dark world of impurity. 
Now, Matthew, of course, as we've seen each week that we've looked at this verse, was quoting Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah's world was as, as dark and thoroughly impure as ours today. Now, we saw it a couple of weeks ago, but it's well worth seeing again. Come back with me to Isaiah chapters 1 to 5, page uh, 685, page 685, uh, Isaiah chapter 1. And just uh, if you're following the, um, the handout, this is uh, the first point, the dark world of impurity in Isaiah's day. Uh, look at uh, what the Lord says through Isaiah in chapter 1, verse 4. Ah, sinful people, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They've spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. See, here's the great problem of impurity. The people of God have forsaken the Lord. That is the great impurity. But the result of turning back, turning their back on the Lord was thoroughly impure lifestyles. Now, don't get the wrong end of the stick. God's people were still very religious. They continued with all their religious ceremonies. But they didn't live pure lives. And I reckon verses 10 to 13 of chapter 1 show us the discrepancy between their religious action and their lifestyle as plainly as anywhere. Look at verse 10 of of chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. It's amazing. That really is a very shocking description. God calls the leaders of his people the rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah, those infamous pagan cities destroyed by God because of the gross sexual immorality that took place in them. That's how impure Israel had become. But here's the thing. While the Lord likened his people to Sodom and Gomorrah, they still brought their sacrifices to God. Again, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I've more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, the fat of fattened calves, animals. I've no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who's asked this of you? This trampling on my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Do you see what's going on? They were very religious, but thoroughly dirty. Purity was in short supply in Isaiah's day. So look what the Lord says to them in verse 16, just over the page. Chapter 1, verse 16. Because they're so impure, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Wash! Sort of thing you say to a teenage boy when he hasn't had a wash for a while. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Oh, we could go right through chapters 1 to 5. Impurity reigned in Israel in Isaiah's day. And it was into the darkness of a thoroughly impure world that Isaiah had the most extraordinary experience. We had it read for us, but turn on to chapter 6 of Isaiah, page 690. I'll read again the words that Dan read for us, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they, they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It is amazing. Isaiah saw God. 
Isaiah saw the Lord Almighty. Angels were flying around, covering their eyes and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And here's the thing, angels covered their eyes, but Isaiah saw God. He saw God in all his holiness. And Isaiah was terrified. Verse 5, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. It's very interesting, when we had our one big question event, a number of people said, uh, you know, why don't you show yourself to me, God? Uh, people have said to me, I'd believe in God if only I saw him. Look, sometimes we really don't know what we're saying when we ask for an experience like that. Isaiah saw God and he was terrified. He actually thought he was doomed. Verse 5, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, here's the thing for tonight. Isaiah knew he was unclean, and he knew he lived in an unclean, impure society. We've just seen a little bit of it in the first chapter. Isaiah knew that because God is holy, God cannot have anything to do with impurity, with uncleanness. He cannot have anything that's unclean in his presence. And so Isaiah thought he was doomed because he saw the Holy One of Israel, the Lord God Almighty. But here's the surprise, Isaiah wasn't obliterated. And he wasn't obliterated because of what happened next. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken crucially with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and here your sin atoned for. So from the altar, from the place of sacrifice, God provided cleansing for Isaiah. God atoned for his sin. That's the only reason that Isaiah wasn't snuffed out in a moment. And then having made atonement for his sin, God gave Isaiah the most extraordinary ministry. Uh, yeah, this is one of those moments where I always wonder if I wished, Isaiah wished he hadn't put his hand up. You know, who'll go? Oh, I'll go. Look what he says then when he says, I'll go, verse 9. He said, well, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their eyes dull and they'll close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <laughs> Isaiah was given a ministry of blindness. Isaiah was to preach in riddles, in parables, so that people would not see. It's a remarkable commission and not what we expect to read in the Bible, is it? But there it is, as clear as a bell. Do you see it, verse 9? Isaiah was to preach the message of the gospel in a way that would actually prevent people from seeing God. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. You have to feel sorry for poor old Isaiah. What an awful job. Whenever I read this, I imagine Isaiah going uh, home after an evangelistic rally and his wife saying to him, well, how did it go? How many people became Christians tonight, my love? And Isaiah saying, none, again. It's the same every time Isaiah preached. No one turned to the Lord because Isaiah had a ministry of judgment, a ministry of blindness, poor fella. And here's why the people of Isaiah's day were impure, unclean, and so they couldn't see God. And Isaiah was to preach in a way that highlighted their blindness. Now let's be sure we realise tonight our impurity stops us from seeing God. It stops us seeing God now in his word when it is preached and it stops us seeing God in eternity, for eternity. However, it's not the end of the story. 
because God is kind and gracious and merciful and forgiving. For those who had eyes to see, Isaiah's message was also a message of hope. There's hope right at the end of this chapter. And he spoke of a day when God would bring light into the darkness, which takes us back to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Our verse, you see, from Matthew chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness. See, this great darkness of not being able to see anything clearly because they were so impure. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, here in chapter 9, Isaiah prophesies a great day when eyes will be opened and people will see God once more. And we know from reading Matthew chapter 4, that great light is Jesus. He is the light for people living in darkness. Look at Jesus and we do see God. Or at least we could see him. And so as we return to Matthew chapter 5, uh, page 968 again, we hear these words of Jesus, our words for tonight. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Do you see how it's all linking? Isaiah's day, people full of uh, sin couldn't see God. But the pure in heart will see God. It's the promise of sight for the blind. The promise of the greatest sight of all. The sight of the glory of God. The sight that the prophet Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. And it all comes through purity of heart. With the coming of Jesus comes the sight of God. But to see God, we must be pure in heart. Not just pure on the outside, but pure in heart. Not just keeping religious ceremonies, but pure in heart. For you see, impurity affects our eyesight. We've already seen that in the words of Isaiah. People in Isaiah's day were impure, and so they couldn't see God. Oh, they were religious. They kept all the religious ceremonies. But they were impure, and so they didn't see God. And there are a bunch of people in Jesus' day who are exactly the same, the Pharisees. And that takes us on to the second point on the handout, the dark world of impurity in Jesus' day. See, the Pharisees were sticklers for keeping religious ceremonies, but they were not pure in heart, and so they couldn't see God. In fact, they refused to see God in Christ when God in Christ stood right in front of them. They were blind to seeing God, even when he stood in front of them and told them who he was. And that's the great problem with people whose eyes are faulty. They don't know that they can't see properly. Now, look, I speak from personal experience. I've been wearing this uh, face furniture in one uh, design or another for the last 30 years now. When I was 19, I was encouraged to go to the opticians. Until then, I thought I could see perfectly well. I'm not quite sure to this day why I went, but I did. I thought I could see well. After all, I played sport and I walked around without too much problem. I, I wasn't bumping into people all the time. But when I went to the opticians... I couldn't see the letters on the screen. And then something amazing happened. The optician put some lenses in front of my eyes, and I said, oh, is that what you look like? And I can still remember walking home from the optician after I picked up my new glasses, and I saw leaves on the trees. No longer were trees just a green splodge. I discovered that day that trees had thousands of individual leaves on them. It was wonderful. Even a brick wall became a thing of fascination to me on that day. I discovered that a brick wall was made up of individual bricks. It was wonderful. And people looked at me rather strangely when I said, have you seen that amazing brick wall over there? 
See, that's the thing about bad eyesight. People who can't see don't realise they can't see. Take these off and I can't see your faces. Without these, I can't see Tom's face. Perhaps I'll leave them off. Sorry, Tom. I need, to, I need to put them back on or I can't see my notes. I can't see properly. And what is true for me physically is true spiritually for anyone who's ever sinned at any time in any way. For sin, impurity, uncleanness affects your eyes. Sin damages our spiritual eyesight. So when God stood right in front of the Pharisees, they couldn't see that Jesus was God. When people say to me, I I, I can't believe in God because I can't see him. If only he were to stand in front of me, then I'd believe him. I usually say, if you're in the right place at the right time, well, you could have seen God. Right place, Palestine, right time 2,000 years ago. If you'd been born then, you could have seen God. But now I realise by studying this, that's only half true, isn't it? Because there were many people who were born in the right place at the right time whose physical eyes were set on God in Christ, but they didn't see him. Because as Isaiah said, although they were ever seeing God, they didn't perceive who he was. The Pharisees were just like that. They refused to see God even when he stood right in front of their noses. And they couldn't see God before their eyes because their hearts were impure. And Jesus came to deal with that problem, saying to his disciples, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the word, therefore, pure, is the word clean. It'd be much better to say, blessed are the clean in heart, for they will see God. And that's why this issue of cleanliness comes up again and again throughout the Bible. That actually was the word we were looking at in Isaiah. Uh, Just as a, a, a little aside for a moment, but to try and fit in some parts of the Bible. The Old Testament law makes it very clear that if you are unclean, you can't come into God's presence. You can't enter the temple. You can't see God. Have you read that in the Old Testament? All the, un- all the cleanliness laws in the Old Testament were about this. If you've ever re- read through the book of Leviticus, you may well have got lost in all the details of the laws about what is clean and what isn't clean. The cleanliness laws say that if you ate certain foods that were declared unclean, or if you touched a corpse, or if you came into contact with blood, you couldn't go into the temple. The temple being the place where you meet with God. For those who are unclean cannot come into God's presence. They cannot see God. That's what the, old, the cleanliness laws are all about. So if you got up one morning and you had a bacon sandwich for breakfast, or if you cut yourself shaving, or you ran over the cat on the way to the temple and touched the cat's body to remove it to the side of the road, you'd be excluded from the temple. The cleanliness laws declared you unclean. And all that seems odd to us, but these laws were designed to mark out the people of God to define them as pure. And to show them that they needed to be pure, a purity that could only come from God in order to come and meet with God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Except, Jesus says, cleanliness, purity, is not about keeping religious laws and ceremonies. To see God, we need clean hands and a pure heart. That's what Jesus is pointing us to here in this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, is very radical. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that was significantly different from the way the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees might have said, blessed are the ceremonially clean, the outwardly clean, the externally clean, for they can approach God at the temple. Now, over the page on the handout, if you're still taking notes and following along. The Pharisees, you see, thought that by being religious, they were keeping themselves pure, making themselves clean. 
I'll say that again in case you're still turning over. The Pharisees thought that by being religious, they were keeping themselves pure, making themselves clean. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 23 and to see that that is simply not the case. Page 992, Matthew 23, uh, verses 25 to 28. These are great verses. I mean, they're really hard to hear, but they're great verses to make this point. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 23 and verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus doesn't pull his punches, does he? You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean as well. Imagine doing the washing up with a Pharisee. If they were on washing up and you were standing there on the draining board, by the draining board with a tea towel doing the drying, every time they put something on the draining board, you'd say, reject. Do you do that at home? Do you do that? We love doing that in our house. Reject. And, um, and then it would go back to the person who's washing up. Uh, do you know, no one does that? Yeah, yeah, somebody else. Johnny does good. I thought it was just me. Now, because, you see, verse 25, every time the Pharisee was doing the washing up, they cleaned the outside of the pot thoroughly. Nice and clean, nice and sparkling. Really nice, clean, sparkling pot. But they never bothered to clean the inside. Just imagine it, the outside of every pot and pan, immaculately sparkly clean and everything, but inside filthy. Hadn't been cleaned out for years. Meal after meal, chicken vindaloo, Lancashire hot pot, spaghetti bolognese, you name it, they cooked it all in there, never bothered to clean it out. Now, after years, it was going mouldy. But the outside of the pot was lovely, really clean. Disgusting inside. But outside, you keep your dinner off it. Not that you'd want to after it being cooked in there, but you know the point. It's a ridiculous way to do the washing up, isn't it? And of course, Jesus wasn't talking about doing the washing up, but about the Pharisees' own lives, about their own hearts. They were bothered about the external, but they weren't bothered about what was going on inside in their hearts. And so, verse 26, Jesus calls them blind. You see the same thing? They can't see. They were blind. They didn't have the sight of the pure. Because inside, they weren't pure. They were like a disgusting old mouldy chicken vindaloo. And Jesus makes the same point in verse 27. Woe to you, teach the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You like the whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Whitewashed tombs. I went to Jerusalem some years back, and, and as I stood on the Mount of Olives, the whitewashed tombs were dotted all over the hillside. They looked lovely, actually. They really did look lovely. I didn't think for one minute the inside were full of decaying bones, unclean. That's how the Pharisees were. Looked great on the outside, moral, decent, religious, upright, law-abiding. Looked great on the outside, but on the inside, hearts were filthy. Because religion and ceremony doesn't deal with impurity inside. Pharisees couldn't see that, they were blind to it, you see. One final passage to see this. Turn with me to uh, chapter 15 of Matthew, page 982. Chapter 15, page 982. And uh, just a health warning, we're going to be not talking about the Pharisees so much now. We're moving towards ourselves. So this is the time really to listen if you've switched off. Look at verse 8. This is what the Pharisees were doing, though. Uh, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in in vain. Their Their teachings are but rules 
taught by men. See what's going on there in verse 8? Lips that say the right things, but hearts that are far from God. Easily done, isn't it? Worshipping God here tonight, you can be caught up in the songs, but be paying no attention to the words, or have no intention of living for Jesus. That's verse 8. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's the Pharisees. See, they were so bothered about all their outward cleanliness laws. That's how this chapter begins, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Not, not the law of God, notice. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, and by the way, that wasn't, you know, they didn't wash their hands at all. It was they didn't go through the ceremonial washing. And Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Again, doesn't pull his punches with them, does he? The Pharisees, you see, more interested in their food hygiene traditions than with the word of God. And so Jesus says in verse 10, he called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth is what makes him unclean. The disciples didn't understand what what that meant. Verse 15, Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you so dull? Jesus answered them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of, the, out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands doesn't make him unclean. See, Jesus says you can... Keep all the food laws there are. It's not food that makes you clean or unclean. What goes in your mouth ends up down the toilet, if you don't mind me putting it that way. You want to know about purity and cleanliness? Look at the heart. That's what makes you clean or unclean before God. And there's the problem. A problem not just for the Pharisees, but a problem for us. And so we come to the third point, the dark reality of impurity in every day and age. So you remember what Jesus said? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now look at our own hearts. Look again at verse 19. Out of our heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, murder, adultery. And you see how the order of that list is very revealing. See, if I'd have written this, I'd have written, I'd have started with murder and then theft and then adultery, but Jesus doesn't. If he had, we'd be sitting here justifying ourselves. We'd be just like the Pharisees. Murder, no, haven't done that. Theft, no. Adultery, no. Clean bill of health on that one. Jesus knows exactly what we're like and how keen we are to justify ourselves, just like the Pharisees. And so Jesus starts, what does he start, verse 19? With my thought life. See it there? Out of the heart come evil thoughts. And Jesus starts there because if we're honest, we all know about the impurity of our own hearts of our own thoughts. I've had the most wicked thoughts about some people. There have been people I've wanted out of my life and off this planet. I've wanted bad things to happen to people because they've crossed me. See, what goes on in my head is very revealing. My thought life shows me that I think I'm the centre of the universe and if someone else is in the way, they should be removed. So I have committed murder in my head I may not have actually murdered somebody, probably because I'm a bit scared, but in my heart, 
And in our thoughts, we've committed sexual immorality. It's the mental striptease, the imagined sex. And theft and greed, the times that I've so wanted something, I might well have taken it if I wasn't what got me into trouble. Not to mention the deceit, making myself out to be something that I'm not. And envy, in this job, I've seen people eaten up with envy. See, the things that go on in my head, you can't see them. I can look lovely on the outside. That's why Jesus starts with my thoughts. My thoughts show me my true self. Here, Jesus is going to the very centre of my being. This is where the problem lies. As someone put it, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's what makes us unclean. So do you see all the religious ceremony in the world won't make us clean because religion and ceremony can't deal with my heart. In fact, religion is very dangerous because like the people of Isaiah's day, we can try and trade off our impurity with religious ceremony. They were outwardly doing all these wrong things, but they were still bringing their sacrifices. They were doing a trade. I know I'm like this, but I'm doing this, Lord. And then like the Pharisees, we can try and cover over our impurity with external religious rules, almost sort of covering up, just just pretending it's not there because look at me, I'm doing all the right things religiously and you can't see anything going on in my heart. Religion is really very dangerous because it leaves us with the impression that we're clean. It's the impression we want to give to others and it's the impression that we end up believing because we've kept all the laws and ceremonies. It's just like making the outside of the pot sparkle while the inside is filthy. It's ridiculous. That's religion. Oh, so never mind the Pharisees. When we hear these words of Jesus, we should be looking at ourselves. And when I read verse 19 of Matthew 15, I'm left wondering if it's possible for anyone to see God. Because remember, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But no one's pure in heart. I'm not. But then, of course, that's exactly why we need Jesus. We need Jesus to cleanse us, to make us pure. And that purity comes through his death on the cross, no other way. But through his death on the cross, we can be utterly cleansed, not only on the outside, not on the outside, but cleansed deep down, deep cleaning, in the heart. Cleansed from all the things we've ever done down through the years, all the thoughts we've had, all the jealousies and the rivalries and the nasty statements and the, the backbiting and the gossip and the scandal, the immorality, all, whatever it might be, all, all washed clean. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't Jesus glorious? And only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus can make me pure in heart. No amount of religious ceremony will make us pure and clean. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees didn't get. Look, there'll be some here tonight who have never had your hearts cleansed. And because you've never had your hearts cleansed, you still don't know God. You, you come here probably because you do want to know God. Maybe interested in finding out more about him. Well, for you, Jesus says, repent. Change your mind about Jesus. Turn back to God and ask for forgiveness. And, and then when you do, you'll see God. If you change your mind about who he is, you'll because you see him. You'll see God in Christ. And here's the thing. In eternity, you'll see God as Isaiah saw him in all his holiness. What a wonderful prospect. You might be thinking, oh, if I follow Jesus, it's going to 
mean this and that. Well, if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to lose out far more. And then there'll be people here, hundreds of us, who, who do know God. We know him as our father. And we love him. Because we've seen him in the person of Jesus and, and, and he died for us and rose again for us. Well, then remember this. You've, washed, you've been washed clean. You might not feel as if you're clean, but you have been washed clean. You are clean in God's sight because of Jesus' death. But remember this. You haven't been washed clean in order to roll around in the mud again. So go on pursuing holiness and purity of life. That's actually what goes on in Matthew chapter 5. I've run out of time, so I I can't do it now with you. But will you go home from here and read about how Jesus wants you to live a pure life in Matthew chapter 5? For example, you can read and consider and pray through Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, where Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, you might, be, you might be pure on the actually not having committed adultery, but how about the heart? Let's go for that, shall we? This isn't what's going to save you. You're already saved because Jesus died for you, but impurity is a terrible thing because it stops you seeing God, so you want to live a, a pure life for him. And then you might want to read and consider and pray through Matthew 5, verse 33, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, but, uh, but keep oaths you've made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So he says, just be a straight talker. No impurity out of your mouth. Don't say one thing and do another. It's not the thing that saves you. Jesus' death saves you. He, he makes you pure, but you want to be pure, don't you? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Value purity because of this blessing that the pure in heart will see God. And whoever you are, whether you're not yet following Jesus or if you've been following him for years, whoever you are, rejoice in Christ who's come to make God known to you. Rejoice in Christ who died to deal with yours and my impurity. Rejoice in Christ who gives us a desire for purity. Rejoice in Christ who alone can make us fit to see God. Well, let's pray together. Well, let me just leave a moment of silence for you to respond. Maybe you realise you've uh, been like the people of Isaiah's day, just blatantly rejecting God living a life that is uh, awful and yet thinking that you can in some way make a trade with God by doing religious things. Maybe you're a bit like the Pharisees who you're not blatantly living without God but you're thinking that being pure is all about being religious. And I guess for all of us we need to look honestly at our hearts tonight and see how wicked we are and thank God for Jesus and for his death and then ask him to cleanse us and to start again afresh with him today. I'll just leave a moment of silence then.